0: Again, let me welcome you and uh, ask you if you would turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 4. We're going to be looking at a portion of an incident in the life of God's people as Joshua was about to lead them into the promised land. We'll be looking at verses 19 through 24, the conclusion of that crossing of the Jordan River. But here we are in another incident, aren't we? Not incident, in a worldwide experience what's going on in our minds and lives as we think about this. Let me back up a little bit. Do you remember some of us, uh, do you remember where you were when you heard about 9-11? <laughs> Wasn't that crazy? Not crazy, but unbelievable. Do you remember what you were thinking and experiencing when you heard that the Twin Towers in downtown Manhattan were destroyed by two huge planes? and thousands of people died, it felt like the end was happening. That truly had a global impact too, didn't it? People around the world were deeply affected and they still talk about it. There are still posters and and photographs and, and memorials to remind us what? Don't ever forget. Don't ever forget what happened on that tragic day. Do you remember where you were? When you first heard about the coronavirus, what was going on when you really got hit by it? Hey, this is really serious. It's not just happening in China or in Italy. That thing's coming here. That thing is here. What was it like when you first really got hit with that? This, too, has really become, hasn't it, a global, wide experience that's affected virtually every country around the world. Isn't it interesting? Look how that coronavirus, a, a, a contagious thing that, that no one wants to be a part of. Look how it has united the world. Isn't it interesting? Who in the world is not talking about the virus? This, this pandemic is something I think we'll be talking about for a long time. Most of us would say we've never seen it this, this pandemic. There have been other illnesses, but like living back in the plague, people are dying, and there's a fear of death all around us. That's united the world. Think again about this. Pause with me. It struck me as I was preparing This virus, this is something that is beyond us, outside of us, and even controlling us, is uniting us. I think there's a spiritual thing thing there. There's a sermon there, right? There is something invisible, something outside of us. We can't see, but that is controlling us. You know what the Bible calls that? The sovereign rule. Almighty God. That should be uniting this world. (laughs) But what's uniting us? Oh my God, am I going to get this disease? What do I do? The history of God's people, the history of God's people is filled with tangible reminders of the covenant of God made with his people. These tangible reminders were things that were designed to be sure God's people remembered. Beginning with Abraham, if you're familiar with the Old Testament story, beginning with Abraham, there's a tangible reminder of God's intention through circumcision. This this would be a visible sign. God commanded, I want this to be a visible sign of God's unique and everlasting covenant and commitment to his people. Every male was to be circumcised. That was a sign These are my people, different from any other group. Then, remember the history. Then there was this dramatic rescue, remember that, of of God's people from the bondage of slavery in Egypt. His people were enslaved for several centuries, and God promised, he promised, I will rescue them. I will deliver my people to the promised land. And how did he do it? He did it by an event called Passover. Passover. The night God instructed the angel of death to pass over the homes where the blood of the sacrificial lamb was put on the doorposts and the lintels of the house. In every other house, the firstborn would die. These people of God were instructed set aside the same time every year and tangibly remember what I did for you at Passover. So you take elements, you hold them, you remember. Remember what God did when he rescued us from the bondage of slavery. And then there was the Red Sea crossing, right? That was pretty exciting. (laughs) He stops the sea. Well, here's another tangible reminder that God gives to his people. It's in the book of Joshua. So hear now the word of the Lord again from Joshua chapter 4, verses 19 to 24. Again, this is the conclusion of crossing the Reds, the, um, sorry, the Jordan. The people came up out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month, and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those 12 stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know, Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Take 12 stones and put them up as an altar. A lot of things to remember here, but here's one thing I'm trying to communicate to you this morning. It's simply this, that the importance of remembrance is a major biblical theme. The people of God usually got in trouble when they forgot to remember. The people of God usually get in trouble when they forget to remember. So I want to use this passage to help us see the necessity... And the power of God's tangible reminders that I believe ultimately culminated in one of the most powerful reminders, the cross of Jesus Christ. You know, we, we prepare, think about this, we prepare very well when it comes to the Christmas season, don't we? And it's it's still in our culture, it's a pretty upbeat theme in our culture. People get ready for Christmas even before Thanksgiving, right? (laughs) It's like crazy The decorate. Everybody's getting ready for Christmas. It's a rich and exciting time. You know, Easter does get a fair amount of preparation and publicity, but I I don't think it gets the same uh, preparation. It doesn't seem to have the same sweet appeal, does it? In Christmas, we talk talk about uh, an innocent babe born in the world. At at Easter, we talk about an adult dying a cruel death on a cross for other people. That's not as fun. You can't write as many, many nice songs about that. It's just not as appealing. But we really get ready for Christmas, but we don't really get as ready for Easter. The tangible reminder was not a manger. It was a cross. It was a cross to look at, to remember. So I want to use this incident in the life of God's people in Joshua to help us further prepare for the Easter season. The next several sermons I'll be giving either live stream or with you. Uh, We will be looking at how do we get ready for Easter? Are you really preparing for Easter? Are you preparing for one of the most significant events that ever occurred in the history of this world? Like Christmas, the Bible doesn't require us to have a season to remember, but we do have the freedom to celebrate. So I hope to remind you again of a triad or a threefold way that these memorable moments are established by God based on this passage. We're going to see, first of all, the importance of the symbol, a tangible symbol. And secondly, we're going to look then at at the explanation that, that requires an explanation. And finally the importance of application. What does this have to do with me? How do I understand it? So seeing this as, as kind of an illustration of what I think is a biblical thing that God does throughout the history of his people. He consistently gives symbols of his work, explanations and applications, what it's all to be about. So let's move into this. We see in this brief picture of Joshua, another memorable moment. This picture moment was something the people of Israel had long anticipated. If you know anything about the history of God's redemption of the people of Israel, they were waiting a long time. They were finally about to enter the promised land and the dramatic crossing of the red sea. That was something they had been talking about for 40 years. They were talking about that. And as you might know, They were not supposed to be talking about it for 40 years. They were supposed to have been rescued through the Red Sea and then go into the promised land. They should have crossed over and celebrated that promised land. Instead, they forgot to remember their unbelief, their rebellion cost them a generation of lives who would not see the land. Most of the people who left Egypt died in the wilderness. And now Joshua would lead this new generation home. At this point in this passage, God wanted a tangible reminder, a symbol to be for all generations of what he had done and what he was about to do again. Twelve stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel were to be set up for everyone to see, not just a little hidden mount, but 12 stones, visible symbols of the people of God. 12, 12 stones, 12 tribes, all of God's people. And look at the primary reason given for having this visible reminder in verse 21, Not that profound, is it? So when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? (laughs) Daddy, why are these stones here? The story of God's redemption is something we should never tire of hearing. The Bible really is the greatest story ever told because it is one reminder after another of who God is and who we are. And how much he loves us. These object lessons or tangible reminders are always significant and important to God himself as well as his people. So in this context, we see these stones representing these 12 tribes of Israel. All of God's people, again, don't gloss over this every time this symbol was shown throughout history. It was to immediately bring to mind God and his love for his people. Whether it was stones or blood on a doorway or bread or wine, you were called to look, look and remember. And then you see just how specifically God wanted these stones to tell a story. So when your children ask you, Fathers, these stones are to really be stepping stones to tell others of the next generation, in particular, about the true and living God. I want you to imagine if you were a father or a leader in your home, and you were back then, and and a young child comes to you months or years later and says, Dad, what are these stones for? What are these idle 12 stones all about? You can almost see a father sitting down with his son. Son, I'm so glad you asked that. Can I tell you what God did? It was almost unbelievable. Yes, it was. It was unbelievable, son. We were standing at the water's edge of the Jordan River, and we didn't know how we were going to get across. And the priest stepped into the water, and guess what, son? The water parted. And God said, I want you to take 12 stones to remember what I have done for you. Son, it was one of the most exciting things I've ever seen. I'll never forget it. And I don't ever want you to forget the God that we serve. It wasn't just a lecture in theology or in the Bible stories. Son, I'm so glad you asked that question. This is a symbol of Almighty God. One author says it this way, God's mercies to our ancestors were mercies to us. And we should take all occasions to revive the remembrance of great things God did for our fathers in the old days. That's why it's so important for us to teach the Bible, even though we weren't there, God was. These are stories about God's work among his people. In other words, what we're seeing here in these symbols, it's a good transition here to see these symbols will cause people to cry out for explanation. Yeah, that's a great symbol, but explain to me what is the significance of what I am seeing in that symbol. I remember in my teenage years, in high school in particular, um, I wasn't a Christian at the time, but I remember, this is dating me, but... I uh, remember seeing some of my peers bringing a bible to school with them with the rest of their books and some of them were different colors intentionally <laughs> and I found out later I found out later that they brought those in hopes that others would ask them what it was you had and why are you carrying that it was a symbol <laughs> that almost required explanation what Why are you, what is that you got there? What's that color? Why are you carrying that with you? A true godly symbol will always warrant a godly explanation. To make it clear, God even tells them what the explanation should be in verses 21 and 22. It's wonderful how God doesn't make it complex. So when your children ask their fathers, What do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For God dried up the waters of the Jordan until you passed over it. This idea, pretty clear, son. God dried up the sea. The early tradition of remembering was mainly through oral transition or description. Not through scrapbooks or ancient writings, but through people sharing stories. I'm glad you asked that question about this. Can I tell you what it meant to me? And here's the story that has been transacted down through the years. Whether it was sitting on a father's lap asking questions about a pile of rocks or hearing tales of God's great power and love, you can't talk enough about it. You know, as a side note, there, there's a real implication here that we who are born again and have put our faith in Jesus Christ, listen to me, we should in a sense, we should be symbols ourselves, shouldn't we, of what the living God does with his people so people will ask you questions, not just about your Bible, not just about your church and this cross, You seem to be a symbol. Could you explain yourself to me? (laughs) I'm really intrigued by who you are and the way you deal with life. Explain. Symbols want to be explained. And that transitions us to that third and final understanding. As we see the Lord is concerned, not only with the symbol and its explanation, he is concerned about the application of that symbol in particular. In other words, what difference should this make in my life for the rest of my life? And I hope you see there in verse 24, he gives a twofold clear answer in verse 24. Look again. Here's the application that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. You know, he first wants the world to know that he is the Lord God Almighty. His power reflects his character. I think this is a rich biblical theme that Isaiah, the prophet especially, got very well. Like an example in chapter 45, Isaiah says this about the Lord. I am the Lord and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. Doesn't that sound like a similar idea in another symbolic moment with Moses and the Ten Commandments, the symbol of the Ten Commandments? What was the first commandment? You shall have no other God besides me. I am the Lord. But look closer at the second point of this application. He personalizes it to the people of God, that you, you may fear the Lord your God forever. Friends, there are are a number of bottom lines in the Christian life for us today, but there's nothing so high as to fear the Lord. And please, don't limit the fear of the Lord to God's holiness and judgment. We should have a true fear of him when we compare ourselves to him. Just again, look at Isaiah chapter 6. Look at what Isaiah felt when he saw the Lord fill the with holiness in the temple. The guy got broken and was scared to death. There is a healthy fear that way. But we must, like Isaiah, let that fear lead us to his mercy, which leads to, I believe, reverence reverence. To fear God righteously is to revere him. That means to love him who first loved us and had mercy on us. That means you want to honor God and not take his love and mercy for granted. You love him so much, you fear that he would not look as holy as he needs to look. That fear leads you to want to be humbly walking before God. So look closely again at the Lord's application of his people. It's through Joshua. It's to fear him, not just today, but forever, forever. This was not limited to to God getting them through the river or over another problem. This fear, he's saying, it was to be the filter of life and learning for the rest of our lives. Again, as one theologian puts it, he says this, Serious godliness is the best learning. (laughs) You'll learn well when you are serious about God. You will learn life very well when you are serious about God. Not in some weird fear where you cower in the corner. But I want to know you, God. And I want to bow before you the right way. I want to understand you and not take you for granted. You will learn life. So back to my opening concern. How are you and I preparing, not for the coronavirus, although we need to, how are you preparing for Easter this season? The constant call of God to his people was to always remember him and what he has done for them. So in conclusion, I want us to remember a couple things here. That's a good segue. Remember, to remember, to remember is not to forget, right? (laughs) Duh. But why do you forget? Why do I forget? To remember is to not forget. Think about it. The people of Israel had their greatest problems. Like I said, when they forgot to remember, I remember one seminary professor. Here's another tangible moment for me when he started talking about this kind of problem. He would describe the people of God as having spiritual amnesia. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, wait a minute. I think I, oh yeah, I now remember that. No, you're forgetting. One lesson to be learned, friends, is that when God does something significant in your life, personally or corporately as a church, I would argue it must be celebrated and remembered. Do something tangible. Write it in a journal or take a picture of the church. I had a significant moment last March or May when I was installed as your pastor. How do I remember that? There are pictures all over the place. And I see faces. I see my family. I see people I'm falling in love with as a body of Christ. I love to look at that. Why it makes me remember what God has done. Friends, from Genesis to Revelation, the call is either clearly stated or implied. We are never to forget our God and his love and mercy. That same theme was frequently on the lips of our Savior. He was constantly remembering his father and wanting to remind his followers of the same call. What makes you remember the work of God on your behalf? Is it the weekly worship that we do? Or perhaps you're reading God's word is another means of helping you remember. Oh, well, friends, at the Easter season, we remember clearly with two symbols of our covenant-keeping God to his people. And the one symbol we see every week, don't we? It's right here. You come in this building and you walk in. What do you see? You look up front. Well, before the slide comes the whole screen comes down, uh-huh. we look at a cross. <laughs> Do you understand what that is? That's death. <laughs> that's, a, that's not something you jump up and down about. That's somebody dying. <laughs> we are looking and highlighting <laughs> death. Do you ever stop and think about that? This is a symbol I would argue we're sadly too familiar with. Oh, the cross. Lovely, isn't it? No, it's ugly. (laughs) It's death. Somebody died on a cross in agony alone. It's empty because of the resurrection, which we celebrate at Easter. But the symbol, do you see the symbol? Not just any death, friends. Not just any death the atoning death of the perfect and precious son of God. And I would argue another even more powerful symbol comes from the teachings of Jesus on the night when he was betrayed. What were they celebrating? The Passover. The Passover. The blood of the sacrificial lamb was the only hope for the people of Israel. And the people of Israel knew every year don't you ever forget this. Don't you ever forget that blood and death were put on your doorposts so that you would not die. But somebody innocent had to die and be sacrificed. When he celebrated that Passover with them, he took bread, he took wine. And he said, symbolically, this this bread is my body. This wine is my blood. And he concluded with this phrase. You all know this phrase if you've been in the Christian church. What does the minister say as he says, take this, do this what? In remembrance of me. What is Jesus saying? Don't you ever forget. Don't you ever forget what I've done for you. I've done it all for you. We know this as the sacrament of the Lord's supper. This is a tangible reminder, and that was to be the culmination the culmination of the saving love of God. There was no longer a need for a symbol. And I would suggest, friends, in conclusion, the greatest call for this season of Easter is not primarily to prepare for the coronavirus, which again we need to, and you'll hear in a minute how we're preparing for it. But that's not the greatest call. Don't let that fear be in your face. So much that you lose sight, you even forget to remember. Remember the Savior's sacrificial love for us. Look again at the cross. Think again of what it means that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son to die for you. Oh, in times of fear and doubt, the greatest cure for the greatest disease hung on a cross. Oh, may you and I, may we spend as much time preparing to remember as you do living through this season of Easter. And may you and I be able to say with the great hymn what wondrous love is this that he would do this for me. Let's get ready for Easter by preparing even now. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you have been preparing from all eternity, and you brought the fullness of your love to us, symbolically in the life and death and resurrection of your son. But we confess we often take even that for granted. We're so familiar and we're quick to forget who Jesus is, what he did for us. Oh, God, make us a people who this hour, this season of life, really think and meditate on the death and resurrection of our Savior. Do that even now, we pray in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen.